Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rosil and my guest today is Max Goldstein. He's the founder and CEO of Max's Sporting Studio. Max is a huge baseball buff and actually created his own hitting statistic, which is absolutely incredible. And I'm not even going to try and explain it here because I can't. I'll let him do that. So Max has been writing for sports for a while and has a goal of working in a front office in some capacity. So that's where these statistics come from. And man, it's uh, just really fun getting to talk to him about it. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Max Goldstein. Today, my special guest, Max Goldstein, CEO and founder of Max's Sporting Studio. Max, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? It's fant- I'm fantastic. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Um, here in the Northeast, it's a little chilly. I'm, I'm here in New Jersey in my basement, so it's a little cold today, which is unfortunate. But we're getting by. We're doing what we can, staying inside, interviewing a boatload of people. And I'm, I appreciate you being on that list, man. Thank you. All right, got him. Let's go. All right, so Max, uh, first question I have for you today is, why do you love sports so much? Um, I, I just, I've always loved sports. I think they're fun to play. And I think that one reason I love them so much is I love seeing, I love, I love the fact that other people love sports. And when I'm at games and it's like, it's such a thrill. Like I, I went to, even though the Tigers, I'm a Tigers fan. And even though they got swept by the Giants in 2012, like to be in that type of atmosphere with other people that care about the game so much, it's spectacular. And it's like, if you think about it too much, it's kind of silly that people invest so much emotion, time and money into sports. Cause it's really the only reason they're cheering for that team is because they're probably born there. That's where they live. But there's just something about sports that is so amazing. The emotional investment, man. I mean, I'm a huge Mets fan, and I was actually so I was at the world. I was at the one World Series game they won in 2015, and I have never felt that feeling before, and it was just crazy. I can't describe it, but it was the coolest, most enjoyable feeling watching David Wright hit that home run. Obviously, you know that that put me over the moon. Like it was standing room only, $700 a ticket, whatever. You know, it is what it is, and I would pay probably a couple thousand dollars because I know what that feeling is like. I mean, it would have been cool if they won the whole thing, unfortunately, uh, but at least I got to see the one win of the series. And uh, so that was pretty darn cool. So what is it, what is it about baseball um, that really drew you to the sport? And are you from Detroit? Yeah, Detroit. That's where I live outside of Detroit. And I think baseball, it's my favorite sport to watch. I've never actually played much outside of like playing with friends and stuff, mm-hmm. but my grandfather he has always been a gigantic Tigers fan. And ever since I've been nine or 10, he's always bought opening day tickets. And we, he used to buy like season packages, which would be like 25 plus games. And I would, Mm -hmm. there there was one time, I think a few summers ago where I went to all three games of just a series in July. So I've been to so many games and I just, I love the stats that are part of it. As we were talking about like the atmosphere 
there's a lot I love about baseball. It's incredible. It's my favorite sport by far. The game within a game, uh, you know, seeing kind of how that chess match goes and what happens is always very enjoyable to me as well. And the statistics, I mean, that that part, just looking at baseball reference and, you know, just kind of hopping around, just falling down a rabbit hole. I'm sure you've done it many, many more times than I have, but it is just so enjoyable just to see, just to remind yourself, like, this is what Barry Bonds did. He had a 609 open. OBP one year how's that even possible and then you know we have some fun with that so I guess with with that like when did you start you know as you said you enjoy well what do you remember what the series was that three game series in July do you remember who it was against it was against the Royals I think it was my birthday and I, I went to one of the games and I actually got a chance to meet some of the players no which way was pretty cool that was fun and like Rajai Davis who hit the home run I think it was 20 16? 2016 against the Indians. Or for the Indians against the Cubs. Like, that was cool seeing him. But he's a really nice guy. And I saw Cabrera and saw JD. And my grandfather told JD that he's the only reason that he finds the Tigers interesting. Now, obviously, Martinez is not with the Tigers. And the Tigers are not in a good position. But that was pretty cool to see the players and see them do batting practice. That is awesome, dude. Uh, I've never had that opportunity before. I, I try to show up to games. I mean, being where I do live in New Jersey, it's very, very frustrating to get to either Yankee Stadium or City Field just because of, you know, having to go through New York um, to get there. Is, it's just the worst. So, I mean, a trek to City Field, while, you know, should only take an hour and a half, takes about three hours sometimes just because of traffic and everything. So I don't get to go to too many games when I do try and show up a little early, watch batting practice, do all that. It's always very enjoyable. And uh, I guess I guess I'll ask you, like, how do you feel about the Tigers' outlook? I mean, they were on top of the world there for a few years. I mean, let's never forget that they got swept, if I'm not mistaken, with Justin Verlander, David Price, and Max Scherzer all pitching, starting three straight games, which is yeah. still crazy to me. Um, but, I mean, what, what does the outlook look like? What do you, what do you feel and what are you hoping for uh, in the next yeah, few years? Yeah, so um... – I'm I'm a very optimistic fan, like even this year, which I'm hoping they have a season, but obviously with the virus, I don't want the whole Arizona plan sounds pretty like not the most reasonable from a player's standpoint. Um, But I'm, I'm an optimistic Tigers fan. I mean, I know they, they stink right now, but they have, the Tigers have a lot of good pitching prospects, Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal. So I'm happy with that, but the, for the hitters, I mean, the Tigers don't really have that one hitter. I mean, obviously, Cabrera is not what he used to be. He's been battling injuries. But I am optimistic. I mean, not necessarily for this year, but maybe two or three years down the road, hoping the Tigers will be able to compete at least for a playoff spot. Because even in, like, 2016, they the Tigers we came down to the final weekend. And unfortunately, the Tigers, I think, finished – two games outside of the wild card. But even then, it's fun as a fan to, like, almost be a part of the playoff run. So I'm hoping they will be better soon. Absolutely, man. I mean, we're, we're, we're dealing on a currency of hope. Again, being a Mets fan, that's, I'm just hoping that they make it close to the playoffs. Make me – I want September baseball that matters, right? Like, so often is it, you know, by, like, halfway through July, you're like, all right, well, that was fun. I guess we look forward to baseball and football now, or, uh, you know, football and fantasy football now. But, um, no, the Mets, Mets are by far my favorite. And it's, it's – um, the Tigers had a – it was a, a free fall, uh, to say the least. They went from, you know, consistent contender all the way to 
easily one of the worst teams in the league yeah. uh, recently. And yeah, I mean, in part Miguel Cabrera, in part Jordan Zimmerman, and that contract is just gosh awful if you're looking at it now. But hey, let's stay positive. Let's look at the enjoyable stuff. So I guess when um when did you start to fall in love with the statistical side of baseball? Yeah, so I'd say I think as soon as I really became a fan of the game, I was always interested in the statistics. I don't feel – not as much the advanced ones when I was that young, but I definitely feel like batting average, home runs, and RBIs. I'd always cheer for – like when Cabrera would come up to the plate, I always wanted him to get over 100 RBIs. So when he'd get a sack fly, I'd always be happy. So I think it was just – it's helpful because back then, like it's not like I knew – who are the best players? If you see a guy who's batting 330 with 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, you know he's a good hitter. So mm -hmm. I think even then, I think once I became older and I started reading articles from like fan graphs and stuff, that's when I became more interested in the advanced statistics. But I've always enjoyed just seeing even the normal, like the basic ones, they, they paint a good picture of players. I agree. And yeah, there's certain statistics that are a little um, misleading, uh, but I do believe in batting average still. I do believe that there is a necessity in understanding what that is. And I do love some of these advanced statistics, but I also think people take them way too far, in my opinion. I believe that there is a, a good reason, you know, a bunt can exist in a baseball game now, and it can be useful in some way, shape, or form, uh, in my opinion, at least. I mean, again, being a Mets fan and seeing what the Royals did, you can't tell me that, you know, hitting the ball in play is not as effective as a strikeout. Um, you cannot tell me that. I've seen it happen way too many times where errors exist and, and human subjectivity does exist. So with, with, you know, kind of falling in love with statistics, at what point did you decide to start writing articles and, and really kind of get in almost to the journalism side of baseball as well? Yeah, so I think it was December of 2018, I decided to start a website. And I feel like there was a lot that I felt I had a lot to say. So it's not like journalism is not something that I'm looking to pursue professionally. It's more of a, a medium and way for me to express how I feel about certain players, certain rules and that type of stuff. But my ultimate goal is to work in a baseball front office. That seems like a challenging job, but also one that would be more enjoyable than like your typical like mm -hmm. job where you go in, to, I mean, yeah, I'd go into an office, but it would be to help a team win, not... A little different. Yeah. A little different than going into, a, you know, a, a cube farm uh, where it's, it's mostly, you know, you're working for some 500 million, you know, Fortune 500 company where, you know, you're just a cog in the machine at that point, you know, with the front office you've seen. I mean, I always love, love seeing what the Rays organization is doing because most of the people that come up through the organization start out interns. You know, Heim Bloom started as an intern. Um gentleman uh click i think right for now who's with the astros if i'm not mistaken started as an intern like they find super smart people and groom them all the way up to being some of the most important and compelling front office members in all of baseball which i think is super super interesting to me so hopefully that can be you one of these days um one thing i saw recently that is pretty interesting is you're kind of creating your own statistics um how the heck do you even start doing something like that? Where, where does like, how, like what comes first, the playing with numbers or the, I think like actually kind of conceptualizing the actual statistic itself. Cause that is 
completely foreign to me. Yeah, so I think with the metric that I created, PDRC+, which stands for Predictive Deserve Runs Created Plus, I think that I was interested in potentially, because Weighted Runs Created Plus, Deserve Runs Created Plus, OPS Plus, which are all ways that um, fans and, I guess, general managers and front office members look to see how good a player is offensively Mm -hmm. relative to league average they're all pretty similar to each other and they arrive at the same place most of the time. If a guy's a league average hitter by one metric, they're likely to be around league average Mm -hmm. in the other ones. But I was trying to see if I can make it so that if you were to look at someone's, how well they were offensively in 2019, I wanted to weight the factors and variables in a way that would allow the metric to be more predictive of future seasons. So if a guy hits, a really, really, if he scorches a ball to the shortstop, ground balls in general don't have, they're not always going to be hits because they're not as good as line drives because a line drive has a higher probability of being going for mm-hmm. extra base hits. Ground balls typically turn into outs. But so most metrics, like deserve runs created plus, which is based on expected outcomes, because a ground ball isn't usually going to lead to much, that would basically bring the hitters deserve runs created plus down. The way I thought of it is if a guy hits a ball 100 miles per hour, average exit velocity on the ground, that tells you something about that hitter. He is hitting the ball hard. So the idea of the metric is it's almost like a forecast of future performance because same thing with pop-ups. A 100-mile-per-hour pop-up isn't likely to be a hit, but that's still impressive to hit the ball that hard even at such a odd launching. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you put like, how do you even, how do you do that math? Where, where how do you create math? I, again, like how, how do you, what did you put together to create this statistic and how do you know that you did the correct algorithm? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know how yeah. to ask the question cause it's very confusing to me. Sorry. Yeah. So basically I downloaded data from dating back to 2015 because that's when StatCast started. So that's, they don't have average exit velocity numbers and barrels and that type of stuff before then. So I looked at all that data and the best, I'm not a math expert myself. I'm still learning every day. Mm -hmm. And the way I did it was uh, for all the stats that I looked at, I converted them into standardized scores based on league average. So they're called Z scores. That way you can kind of look at them and see like is a is hitting a barrel 10% of the time more or less impressive than a guy running having a sprint speed of 30 feet per second so it kind of allows you to compare it that way so mm-hmm. it's like because 30 feet per second and a 10% barrel it's hard to know from that so then by converting into standardized scores you can figure out how good a player is like in terms of standard deviations above or below the league average. Mm-hmm. So once I was able to do that, I used a lot of like linear regressions and stuff and graph variables against each other to see what would allow me to best predict future performance. And so how long does something like this take? Like how much trial and error is involved in this type of process? I think a fair amount because it's hard to know. Like I wasn't sure if, like from the beginning, should I look at walks more heavily than strikeouts, strikeouts more heavily than walks? So 
I think a lot of it is just seeing how, like, based on past seasons, what did it show in that regard. So it definitely took a lot of time, but I think that even though it's not perfect now, I'm happy with it a lot. I know there's ways it can be improved. Just that whole process, I feel, is useful, and I feel like for future, maybe the next stat I create will be even better because mm-hmm. going through that whole, all the steps to create it, I think is useful. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's absolutely useful because again, as you said, you now understand that process a little bit better and it's going to continue to be useful because as you said, you already know ways that you can improve upon it. So with that, you can make this statistic better and then moving forward when creating another one in some way, shape or form, you're able to do that. And, and again, just this process is, is pretty, pretty interesting to me. I mean, I took statistics in, I don't know, like eighth or ninth grade, maybe like that's about as far as I got with stats. So, you know, kudos to you, man, for being able to figure out something like this and how, how do you like, as you said before, like you, there is a lot of trial and error in the process. You're not sure what to wait, where, how do you utilize a statistic like this to make sure like, do you use past data, as you said before, to make sure that, you know, someone like, like, how do, how the heck do I even ask this? Um, how do you verify it? So as you said, in 2015 was when StatCast data became, you know, barrels and, and a lot of that stuff became possible. Do you then go to 2015, see who panned out and then try and align the statistic with, okay, this person did end up being better because of they were able to hit hundred mile an hour ground balls in 2015. Like how do you make sure that you didn't just create a statistic that again, now it's just like, here's a statistic. This doesn't really make, you know, you know what I mean? It doesn't really make sense, but how do you verify to make sure over the last five years that it actually did do something and you were, you were right. Yeah. So one of the things I might do differently is I did not, I, I had my sample that I like based the weights off of was at least 800 player seasons and they were all, not like single seasons. It was where a guy had to have stepped up to the plate 300 times the first year and then 300 times the next year. And I wanted to make it so that the correlation between how well they did offensively based on like the stats like DRC plus WRC plus and OPS plus, I wanted to make it so that my metric was more predictive of how well they were offensively the following season than those metrics. So I based on that sample, I was able to kind of get a feel for what variables are most important. And I think that that was helpful. And then, but the one thing I might do differently, and I'm definitely going to make some changes, not major, but some improvements to the model is, I guess, I've received some feedback that it's important to also test the model on data that you don't base the weights off of, because I may have, it's possible that I overfitted the model just to like for the data that I was working with. It's also mm-hmm. possible that I didn't because it was again, over 800 players that I was looking player seasons that I was looking at. So even if maybe weighting strikeouts more heavily for 200 of those players would improve, but then there's also 600 other players that may not improve. So I think the big sample size may have minimized the amount of overfitting, but next time I'm going to try to test it out of sample too. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, how much, how much is there, I guess, back and forth between other people within this industry and how much, how much are you going to people and saying like, Hey, here's, 
this product here, you know, here's the statistic. I'm halfway done. Like, what do you think about it? What do you think I should be doing moving forward? And how, I guess how much back and forth is necessary and how many people do you try and involve in a process like this? Yeah. So I've asked a lot of people for feedback. One of them is the MLB data architect uh, head, I guess, Tango Tiger. And I've, he was suggesting that I exclude intentional walks and bunts. So that's something I'm going to look to do, but Unfortunately, the search, like if you try to search for StatCast, it does not allow you to easily exclude bunts. But so I'm waiting until they fix that because it would take a lot less time mm-hmm. to update one if they are able to. Right now, you can take a look at who hits the hardest bunts, but you can't look at who hits the hardest balls excluding bunts. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting on that. So, but definitely receiving feedback from people that have been working on these types of things longer than I have and know more than I do. It's, it's very helpful. Mm -hmm. And how much, how do you try and go about, you know, obviously, as you said, you're getting feedback from people within the industry, but then how do you go about getting them, I guess, for lack of a better term to accept the new statistic and actually use it and, and understand where, how, and why they should be using it? Yeah. So in my article, I attempted to kind of explain where my metric is more useful than the WRC plus and the rest of them. And my metric is not the best metric. If you want to see who hit the best in 2019 relative to league average, in that case, you'd want to look at deserve runs created plus because basically that's trying to say based on how hard they hit the ball and adjusting for strike, obviously taking into account strikeouts, walks and all those other plate appearance results, but then also the baseball perspectives, DRC plus it adjusts not only for ballpark and it also looks at the opposition that the hitter was facing. Cause obviously someone like Carlos Santana who was on the Indians last year. He got to face the Royals, the Tigers. I mean, the twins had a decent pitching, the white Sox. So facing them like 19 times, four times, that's a lot of, games against pitchers that aren't as talented so they're going to adjust for that and then guys obviously like I don't know like maybe someone like Pete Alonzo had to face the Braves the Marlins one of the best pitching but the Nationals the Phillies like they they adjust for those types of things so Mm -hmm. you want to know who hit the best deserve to hit the best you're going to want to look at DRC plus but if you want to have the best idea if you want a metric that'll partially tell you what happened but also be more predictive potentially of future performance, then you'll want to look at my metric. Because if you see a big difference between a player's PDRC plus and DRC plus, and as the difference widen, the, the extent to which my metric proved to be more useful in predicting future performance was greater. That's incredible. You're so much smarter than me. And I love the opportunity that I get to ask you some questions today. What, with that, like, how do you go about without shoving this down people's throats, like how do you get this to be a part of fan graphs, a part of baseball RF? And like, what is that? Have you looked into that process and getting it to be like, I guess, nationally recognized on one of these sites that again, people are on every day? Um, I think it definitely would be amazing if that was to be the case, but I mean, it'd be really cool. I don't know exactly how I go about that process, but maybe once I, make a few revisions, mm-hmm. maybe reaching out to some of the heads of those sites 
because it would be cool to see my own metric up there. And I definitely think it would be useful for other people to see it because like an example, like Mookie Betts before he had his like MVP season, my metric was a lot higher on him than the other metrics. So my metrics not always going to be right, but based off stats from that year, how much he was barreling the ball, how hard he was hitting at his sprint speed, strikeouts, walks, and that type of stuff, my metric was a lot higher on him than the other ones. And same can be said about Joey Gallo before this year. And this for 2020, a player that my metric likes a lot more is Dansby Swanson, who I think a lot of people feel he got unlucky. I've seen videos on Twitter where people have just posted hard hit line drives that were caught that he was hitting. So that's those are some instances where my metric, I guess, demonstrated itself. Mm-hmm. Never forget the Arizona Diamondbacks traded Dansby Swanson for Shelby Miller. Never, ever, ever forget. Um, I think how you've been able to create this and the process that you've gone through, how long did this take? You know, I did not. I, I'm happy I didn't time myself because I feel like it would be too long. But, I mean, being off – I mean, I've not – been that busy with the whole coronavirus stuff so I've had a lot of time and it's I think it's more useful that like more a better use of my time than like playing video games and that type of stuff so I mean I get it take it took many hours because it's hard to when it takes a while to download the data and then some of the stuff like the strikeouts and stuff I got from fan graphs and then the other stuff was from baseball savant but then the problem is like for some seasons, Fangraphs lists BJ Upton as Melvin Upton Jr., but Baseball Savant has him as the opposite, either Melvin mm-hmm. Upton or BJ Upton. So then, like when I first had done it, a bunch of the columns' data were off because I hadn't noticed that. And then I realized why did D Gordon lead the league in barrels? It was because of the BJ versus Melvin Upton. So those types of things, the tedious stuff can kind of be annoying, but. The end product, I think, makes it worth it. I think it does. And as, as you said, I mean, I think if you got your statistic uh, up on Fangraphs, Baseball Savant, on, on Baseball Reference, I think that's a really great way to get into one of these front offices. At, at a minimum, just get your foot in the door and talk to people how you're able to create something like this. Because I think it's the initiative that comes with wanting one. You know, everybody wants this job how many people are willing to put in the hours you did and and do that tedious work to literally create your own statistic that has some meaningful background and has some meaningful uses within the market, Uh, especially when looking at, you know, as you said, Mookie Betts, you know, potentially Dansby Swanson. Are there any Mets that are on the top of that list um, for 2020? Yeah, I can take a look right now. I can pull up a leaderboard. Um, the Mets, I, the Mets are definitely, they have some guys. One guy, I guess, that my metric isn't as high on as what he did was is Jeff McNeil, which mm-hmm. may upset some people. I think he is a good hitter. I can now filter by team. The Mets, the Met with the highest PDRC plus from last season, based on, I guess, one sec. Um, so one guy, I guess, that the metric predicts will be better next season is Robinson Cano. His DRC plus was 89, which is 11% below average, but his PDRC plus was a much, much better 109. And Cano, while he is not very fast, 
he still had above average exit velocity, which is good, over one standard deviation above average. He didn't really hit much weak contact, and his barrel rate was actually above average too. And he doesn't strike out much. His strikeout rate, he only struck out 16.3% of the time last year. The league average for strikeout rate for non-pitchers was over 22%. So he he didn't strike out much, and he hit the ball pretty hard. So mm-hmm. my metric anticipates that Cano will be better next season than he was in 2019. And then the highest player based on PDRC Plus for the Mets was actually not Pete Alonso. It was actually Michael Conforto. I'm okay with and that too. That it's interesting. Um, Conforto, I think he is a good hitter. He walks a lot. Doesn't strike out too much, which, I mean, for a power hitter, that's good. He barrels the ball, his barrel rate, over 7% of his plate appearances ended in barrels, which is almost a standard deviation above average. The league average is only about 2.5%. So Conforto hits the ball really hard, walks a lot. And his sprint speed is actually above average also. The league average for that is 27 feet per second. And for Conforto, it's, he runs 27.5 feet per second. So Conforto, based on my metric, is, like, is, the most likely, is the most likely of the Mets to hit, hit the best next season. Perfect. So I have some fantasy baseball drafts coming up. Um, who, are, who are some sleepers? I guess that you through your metric, um, you know, obviously we all know Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, they're all going to go in the top, you know, top, whatever, top three, top four, who are some of those people that maybe we're not paying attention to. And I don't know how easy it is for you to kind of filter through, but who are some people that might fall down uh, because of poor seasons this past year or, or the last couple of years that your metric is saying, well, hang on, you know, there, there's still a good chance that they have an opportunity such as the Dansby Swansons of the world. Yeah, so number one, as I said earlier, was is Dansby Swanson and then some other guys that could potentially rebound um, or improve upon what mm-hmm. they did last season is a better way of putting it. C.J. Crone, a first baseman who the Tigers actually signed, he hits the ball really hard, and he actually doesn't strike out much. So his PDRC plus was very high at 124, which was – is actually higher than Swanson's, but, and then some other guys that you can expect to potentially hit better next season are, um, one is Marcelo Zuna, an outfielder for the Cardinals. His DRC plus was 111 last year. So based on DRC plus, he, he deserved to hit at a level 11% above the league average last year. And then my metric has him at 129. So, you can expect based on that difference that how well he hits relative to league average based on the expected results will be closer to 129 than 111. So mm-hmm. that's good for Ozuna. And then I had, I had Ozuna the year he went bananas his last year yeah. in uh, uh, Miami. That was awesome. Didn't win the league, but made it to the championship. It was nice to get him in like the 15th round or whatever I did. So that was, that was pretty nice. Uh, give me one more. Yeah, so I guess maybe I'll give you someone that's anticipated, that my metric anticipates that he'll regress. Ooh, there we go. And and it's interesting because the Mariners actually traded him this year, this offseason. Omar Narvaez, their catcher, he mm-hmm. got traded, I think, to the Brewers. 
Narvaez, I mean, even without my metric, I would have expected him to potentially regress. He's very slow. He His average exit velocity is 85.4 miles per hour, which is over one standard deviation below average. So he didn't hit the ball very hard. He His weak contact, he actually didn't hit into that much weak contact, but his barrel rate was only 3.7%. So didn't hit the ball that hard, as I was saying. And the only good thing about Narvaez is his plate discipline is actually pretty good. He walks almost 10% of the time, and he strikes out less than 20%. So I think Narvaez is still above average hitter in terms of catchers, but he's not very good defensively. And I don't think he's right based on WRC plus OPS plus and DRC plus. He was about 20% higher than league average offensively last year. My metric sees him that he'll be below average next year at 91, which would be about 9% mm. below average. Man. This is, I mean, I could ask you about players all day, but I think people, I don't know, maybe people would really enjoy that, me just spouting out people. And what about Mike Trout? Mike <laughs> let's, Trout. let's just go to the top. What does yeah. what, what your metric think Mike Trout's going to do? So Mike Trout, and I was actually looking at the, I haven't done it yet, but the revised version that I would be looking at would even put him even higher than he is right now. Right now, he's number one by far on my leaderboard for 2019. Because it's looking at predicting, it's always going to look at some regression to the mean. So his DRC plus was 177, which is amazing. That led the majors. His PDRC plus is 169. So, I mean, in that case, that doesn't mean that Trout's going to be worse next season. He's still – he his there was a 15-point difference between Trout and the next highest player based on my metric. The next highest was Christian Yelich at 154. That 15-point difference, I mean, you'd have to go all the way back down to um, – that's the difference between Nelson Cruz and Christian Yelich is the difference between Christian Yelich and Mike Trout. So, And where does Nelson Cruz fall on, like, the, the rank, I guess? He's number seven. Okay, yeah. So, so Mike Trout is amazing, and we should appreciate him more is what you're telling me. Yes, I think Trout is significantly better than, I shouldn't say significantly, he is clearly the the best hitter in baseball. I mean, it's not close, in my opinion. I mean, Yelich had a great season, but Trout's been so good for so long, too. And how long, how, um, with that, like, longevity, and I guess, as you're saying, predicting, well, how much does longevity get taken into it? As you said, you want to look at at least two seasons in a row with a minimum of 300 plate appearances or bats at bats, if I'm not mistaken. So how long does, does someone like Mike Trout, who has been dominant for the last nine years or whatever it's been, does it take that more into account than someone like Christian Yelich, who only within the last three years, let's call it, really started raking? Um, right now, it does not. My metric is not designed to be like a projection. Like if you were to, if you want a metric, I guess, or a projection, then you'd want to look at like, I guess, steamer projections. They look at career numbers and stuff. This metric was more intended if you based on how that hitter did in 2019. I don't care if he was 40 years old or I don't like in the Cruz was in his age 38 season. Like age is not considered as a direct variable in the in the whole metric, 
like, or if you're Cody Ballinger, who's 23, or if it's your first season, it's basically based on the numbers, what would his PDRC mm-hmm. plus be? It's not trying to look at multiple years of data. Indirectly, it looks at aging, I think, because sprint speed is considered one of the things. Older players tend to run slower, and sprint speed is weighted as 10% of the combined, like, if you were to, there's a combined Z-score, which looks at all the things, and then it's converted into PDRC+. Sprint speed is 10% of the picture, so I think indirectly it's taking into account some aging. And when I looked at how far off my metric from 2018 was from the DRC+, plus that hitters put up in 2019, versus Steamer's projections for 2019, my metric came really, really close in terms of nailing and Mm -hmm. nailing it down i mean if you look at schemer like they also anticipate a regression from narvaez and i think that's partially probably because narvaez had his best season this year but Mm -hmm. my metric is different because you're not going to see i mean you could see rest of season projections on some sites but my metric like midway through the season you could see oh maybe this player is going to be worse than he was because he had such a big difference between PDRC plus and DRC plus. Very cool. And then what about when we juice the ball? Like with, with the potential of, uh, uh, you know, in 2017, there was the juice ball. 2018, there was in 2019 was a juice ball. Like, I don't know how or if you can take anything like that into effect, but is, does that have any bearing on, on this type of metric? Um, I think it does because – Putting up a, like, let's just say 2019, that was when hitters were hitting the ball the hardest, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, based yeah. on, like, our eyes, we could yeah. see it. But I'm not sure exactly if the numbers – I think barrel rate was the highest in 2019. The cool thing about my metric is because it's using standardized scores, it's all relative to league average from that season. So mm-hmm. it's – and same the cool thing with DRC Plus and all those stats – League, a league average hitter is has a 100 DRC plus, WRC plus, or OPS plus. So you had to put up better quote unquote numbers this year to be a league average hitter. But based on like, I mean, everyone was using the same ball, so you'd expect a league average hitter to post a 100 of the that metric. My metric, unfortunately, the league average isn't exactly 100, which. It would be cool if it was, but I did, in using the regression, it picks a value that best it gets the closest. So the league average for my metric is right around 100. It's 98 and a half. So that's almost like that difference is very small. But yeah, is it is that something that you can fix? I guess considering all these other metrics, do you use 100 as the league average? Is there a way that you can kind of just not finagle because that makes it sound like you're cheating the system, but like make sure that 100 is the average. So that way it is all based on essentially percentages at that point. Yeah. I mean, I technically I could divide each person's PDRC plus by the league average for PDRC plus, which is 98 and a half. But because I want it to be, if you want, if you want to look at like the mean difference between like, like 2018 PDRC plus, and DRC plus using 98 and a half versus a hundred, it reduces the amount that it, my metric is off. So right now this will get you closest to the exact answer. 
Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that once I exclude bonds from average exit velocity, take away intentional walks, and one variable I'm looking to add is like percentage of balls that a hitter puts in play that are hit at a launch angle range most conducive for hitting home runs, which is about 21 to 34 degrees, because that's not too high of a launch angle where it's going to be a pop-up, but it's also not too low that it'll be like a line drive. And obviously line drives can go for home runs, but most home runs are fly balls. Mm -hmm. So if I add that, I expect that my metric potentially the league average could go to 100, which would be nice, but I think where that is right, where it is at right now works. I, I think so too. And what about injuries? How do you, how do injuries, like, again, you brought up Robinson Cano and I think he was injured last year, you know, watching however many Mets games I did. So I would also with just the assumption of if he's not injured, he'll be better. So how do you kind of factor that into it as well to make sure again, it's, it's accounting for all these even unforeseen, you know, um, you know, out- outcomes. Yeah. So injury, I feel like that'd be tough right now. It does not reflect like it does not consider injuries right now. Well, I guess, I guess letter less than considering, like, even as you said with age, like age usually is a, like it correlated to um, sprint speed, right? The older you get, the slower you become. Yeah. Are there any of, would you, could you point to anything in there that says, okay, you know, his hard hit rate was lower because his shoulder was messed up or his elbow was messed up. Like, is there anything like that that you can kind of at least point to when again, looking at the next year and saying, okay, this is what the number is, but because he was injured last year, maybe it'll be higher or maybe it'll be lower kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And I think that maybe in some circumstances you could see a big difference between the two and maybe say, you know, that could be because of the injury, but I feel like it would be tough to account for injuries because some players play through injuries and Mm -hmm. they don't say they're injured and we don't know that they're injured. So I feel like that makes it kind of tricky. I completely agree. And I was just kind of curious uh, about that. So what, um, how, you know, uh, going back to, again, the, the, the studio you have a little bit, like how, how have you been able to bring in together a team of people all with the same love of statistics and analytics as you do um, to help write for your site. And like, like what's it like kind of building like a freelance team of people while you're kind of, you know, you're writing as well, but you're also creating these, this incredible statistic. So I think I just kind of sent out a bunch of messages that I was looking to create this analytically oriented baseball site. And I mean, right now I'm not able to pay my writers because the site's not profiting yet. But it definitely is my hope that I'll be able to do that. Right now, I'm not making money off of the site. I mean, the site's generating some revenue, but I'm, I'm not broken even yet. So, but as soon as I do that, I mean, I'd love to get paid. To, I know that being paid, not only would that make people happier and more likely to stay, but also it would probably improve the quality of their work because if you know you're getting compensated for the work you're producing, I think you're more likely to create more quality content. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'd like to do. I think that because people that I got people that apply knowing that right away from the beginning, they're not going to get paid. The people that apply know that. So I think I really got the people that are doing it out of the love of the game, at least for now. 
for the love of baseball, baby. You got to love it. And then I guess like with, again, with creating this statistic and, and having this media site, essentially this, this, uh, you know, blog spot, um, how have you, how, like, have any of the people that you are working with, have they come to you with ideas about their own statistics? Have you gone to them with, Hey, how do you guys think about this? Have you pushed them to utilize your statistic more? Like how, how are you kind of using the, the two ends of the spectrum? Yeah. So, I mean, they all, they, they, a lot of the writers offer ideas and potential ways to improve it. I don't know that I, I guess people can use the preliminary version and people that have requested for the spreadsheet I've shared, but I know that it can be improved slightly. I mean, I'm not talking about drastic adjustments, but Mm -hmm. I'm not like I could post it on my site, but because I know that I'm going to make changes, I think it doesn't look the greatest, uh, post one thing and then the next week change it. Mm -hmm. But it definitely is still a work in progress. But right now, based on the, that based on the 800, whatever plus player consecutive player seasons, my metric did have a higher correlation with the future performance. So I I wouldn't have released it if I wasn't confident in the fact that it could be useful. So I'm, I'm happy we're with the status of the metric at this moment but i'm always looking to Mm -hmm. enhance it well good luck on that the last question i have about it is prospects um how much data can you get on them and how useful if you've been able to get any data is there any correlation again to you know how some of them have been able to turn out especially going back to about 2015 um so for prospects unfortunately like i know that there is some statcast data on prospects but i don't think it's available to the public sector right now. So I've not really been able to create this type of metric for prospects. I'm sure if the data was available that someone, I or somebody else could do that. One thing though that I have done that's interesting with prospects is dating back to 2008, I was able to create like a similarity score system. So like I was able to see the most similar seasons to let's just say the one Mike Trout put up, his single A in 2010, I can see based on strikeouts, walks. I think I also looked at ground ball percentage, weighted runs created plus, WRC plus, and also speed. I was able to get who are the most similar, not best, but most similar to that player, which is kind of cool because you can potentially identify some guys that could be underrated. Some. That's awesome. You're incredible. Max, that's about it. I mean, one of my questions was, what's the goal? Um, You know, what's your career goal? But as you said, work in a front office, and I'm assuming that means rise all the way to the top in some capacity. Um, But yeah, man, this was awesome. Max Goldstein, CEO and founder of Max's Sporting Studio. Uh, If you can, please send me any links that I can share so that people can learn a little bit more about your metric and and your statistic. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Max. As I said, really, really cool. That statistic, again, I'm not going to try and bother explaining it because he did such a great job. I think listen to the episode a couple times if you'd like. But I think it's just really cool that someone's brain kind of works like that. Kudos to him and shout out to him. And I can't wait to say I remember when. So please make sure to follow Max on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please make sure to give us a five-star review wherever the heck you're listening. We would be very, very grateful for that. And thank you so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So I appreciate you giving me some of yours and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes!